We have asked you to open the eyes of our hearts. We have asked you to be our vision. Lord, these are the true requests of our hearts today. So with open hands, we open our minds, our heart, our will, our spirit to fully receive the word that you have to speak to us today. Come, living eternal word. Come with your specific now word for this hour, for this day. We thank you. We praise you. We honor you. And bless your servant as he brings the word to us in Jesus' name. Amen. So, as I mentioned earlier, 24 years ago, uh, this Sunday, I became the pastor here at Bethel Christian Fellowship. And about a year into my time here at Bethel, um, a young man who was a student at McAllister College came to visit the church. And I still remember... Andrew's first Sunday here, because I'm up here and I'm looking out, and here is this young man in the aisle, on his knees, pouring out his heart to God. That's an enduring picture that I have of Andrew, who is a man um, who passionately pursues the heart of God. And uh, several years ago, Andrew became an elder here. We had to wait until he hit puberty to do that. <laughs> but um, So then he became a younger elder. Um, and uh, we're so grateful. And this, um, this year, as you know, is a year of growing maturity. And... Um, about two or three, four weeks before I shared the message, um, I shared with Andrew what the theme would be because he was going to share that with the children. Andrew's been doing a tremendous job these last couple of years with our um, big house, and uh, he was going to share the word with them. And he said, wow, that's just incredible because God's been like, downloading this series of messages into my spirit on growing maturity. And uh, so um, Andrew put together, uh, we, we talked about that, dialogued about that, and decided that Lent would be the perfect time to do this series. He put together a booklet. If you do not have an, a booklet yet, ushers, come all the way to the front, if you would. Come all the way down to the front. And then if you don't have yet a, a booklet for Lent on growing maturity, would you raise up your hand? If you don't have a booklet yet, raise your hand. Keep your hand up high so that Andrew can find, uh, not Andrew, our ushers can find you, and you can have the materials that Andrew's prepared. Keep those hands up so that they can find you. Anybody else in need? In the back corner, Albert, back here. Way in the back corner, too, and over around, so good. All right, so I uh, just wanted to take this moment to introduce my brother because not only is he an elder, and a friend, but he is a man of God and grateful for his uh, work here in preparing uh, this for us during this season. So would you join me in welcoming Andrew? Hello, uh, my name is Andrew Gross, as you already heard. And uh, we are right in the middle of our Lenten series. Uh, we, we chose Lent to do this series on growing maturity in part because Lent is all about preparing our hearts to live in the resurrection. So uh, walking in the resurrection power of Jesus, a lot, a lot of the exhortations and the words we heard this morning already, a lot of the songs are about walking in the resurrection power of Jesus. And, uh, and Lent is about preparing our hearts so that it's ready. That's if, if you ever wondered, why do people fast? Why do people 
uh, you know, do all, all kinds of things during Lent, and it's, it, the, the goal is to pre- prepare our hearts so that whatever's blocking us, whatever's keeping us from living in the resurrection power, that, that, that we would, uh, all that would be removed and we would get to walk in the resurrection power of Jesus. So, so that's why we're doing it, it during Lent, and we're right smack in the middle of that. Uh, today's um, series is on, uh, it's on growing in emotional maturity. And I just realized I don't have the little clicker. I don't know if that's somewhere to be found, but Kathy does a great job of that. But uh, it's, a, it's a call to growing emotional maturity. And, you know, this is one of the most important elements of maturity. I, I noticed uh, as, as I was praying for this, talking to other people about this, you know, there's a, there's a lot of anxiety and, and worry, thank you, about this, this uh, discussion of emotional maturity. Because, uh, you know, our emotional maturity, it probably most quickly demonstrates all the other kinds of maturity. It, it, it most quickly demonstrates whether or not we are uh, mature, and I'm, I'm going to get into that. <clears throat> let, me, let me start by explaining, going back to our definition of maturity. Several weeks ago, we presented this definition of maturity. Uh, there, there's other ways you can, you can talk about maturity. This isn't the only definition, but we thought this was the most biblical. Uh, loving God... Loving people, loving ourselves freely and fully. And I I want you to think for a minute about how emotional immaturity can sabotage you reaching this. Uh, There's a whole bunch of ways that emotional immaturity can sabotage us from attaining this kind of maturity. I I want to take us through that for a little bit. Think of how emotional immaturity sabotages our love for God. Now, you know, on Sunday morning, we might be just praising Jesus with the loudest of them, with the, you know, biggest voice of anybody. We're, we're singing hallelujah louder than anybody. But, but think of how fear prevents us from obeying. When we, we say we love God, and Jesus said, if you love, you will obey. If you obey, you will love and think of how our fear keeps us from uh, obeying God. Think of how our bitterness prevents us from trusting God. I'm not going to, God didn't work out my life the way I wanted it to work out, and he's, things aren't going the way I want them to go, and I'm angry and bitter about it, and, and, and therefore I'm, I'm not going to trust him with the future. So, so think about how even when we say we love God, our bitterness can, can prevent trust or our fear can prevent obedience. Think about, think about our love for other people. Think about how our anger, the emotion of anger, can cause us to abuse others, abuse people emotionally, verbally, physically, sexually. Uh, think, think of how anger can cause us to lash out or, or think about how our desires can cause us to exploit other people, use them for our purpose, for their disadvantage and for our advantage. Uh, think about how our anxiety and our depression can cause us to isolate from other people. It's, it's hard to love other people when you're isolated from them, isn't it? Uh, but anxiety and depression very powerfully prevent us, uh, very powerfully isolate us and prevent us from loving other people. Think about our love for ourselves. Now, uh, several weeks ago, we explained that love for ourselves, we're not, this isn't a prideful puffing ourselves up, oh, look, I, me, I'm so amazing and wonderful. What we mean by this is accepting ourselves as God made us to be and accepting God's love for us. That's how we are defining uh, love for ourselves. But think of how, think of how um, often our self-loathing causes us to reject the God, sorry, reject who God made me to be. Uh, you know, I, there's some quirky, weird, awkward things about me, and I have this self-loathing that rises up in me and just says, nope, I don't like that part of me. I, I, you know, maybe God's smart, knows what he's doing, but he obviously didn't know what he was doing when he made this part of me, all right? Uh, th- think about how that self-loathing rises up and prevents us from accepting who we are. Or think about how our insecurities, feelings of insecurities, cause us to reject God's love. You know, God couldn't have done anything bigger or stronger 
or more dramatic to prove that he loved us by coming here himself on earth, becoming one of us, dying in our place, even though we were the ones who deserved to die, and he took the punishment upon himself. He did all that to demonstrate his love for us and... Think of how we often, are the insecurities is, well, that's just not for me. I just can't, well, I just, I can't accept that for me. It doesn't apply to me. So that insecurity prevents us from accepting God's love for us. <clears throat> Think about freedom and, and fullness of love. Now, a lot of times we're going to talk about a guy uh, in Scripture who, who was like this, where we, 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 will, we will obey the command to love God and to love other people, but we do it in kind of a shriveled up, partial way because we're so um we're 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 so worried we're so anxious we're so afraid what we're going to lose uh think of all the ways we sort of offer god kind of a shriveled up partial obedience and a a partial kind of love to other people because of feelings of anxiety depression worry etc you know our emotions can really, our immaturity can really sabotage our perseverance in faith and love. I don't know how many, t- I know it's happened to me plenty of times where I'll stop doing what I'm supposed to be doing because of some kind of emotional immaturity in, inside of me. <clears throat> uh, our witness is dramatically compromised, dramatically compromised by our emotional immaturity. Now, non-Christians might be incredibly impressed with other parts of your life, but the second you show emotional immaturity, the second you act like a king baby or a queen baby, I don't know if anyone's ever heard of that, you know, you you don't get what you want, so so if you don't get to be king, you or don't get to be queen, then then someone's going to pay for that. The second you show this littlest bit of emotional immaturity, witnesses out the door. People are like, well, that's really, you know, they, they might even be impressed with your testimony. Yeah, you were saved from drugs. Yeah, you were saved from prostitution. Yeah, you were saved from murder, uh, killing people, blah, 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 blah. That's really nice. But yeah, I, I saw the way that you just lost it with your kid. I saw the way that you lost it with that parking attendant. I saw the way that you, you know, pe- your, your witness is gone when they see the emotional immaturity. So so it is imperative, it's imperative that we, that we become emotionally mature as Christians. And, and, and I, am, I am speaking very directly to myself. <laughs> I, need, I need to grow in emotional maturity. So I, I want to try to talk about this. It's, it's pretty tricky from Scripture because there actually are... There's, there's lots of negative examples in Scripture of emotional immaturity. There's not a ton of examples, positive examples of emotional maturity. So and you, you, just, you just think about it. You guys can, I'm sure everybody could probably flip through in their heads and think of a, a whole bunch of negative examples. Uh, I was thinking about Eli, the high priest, way, way back before they had kings. It was after the, won't repeat the whole story, but... Uh, after the Israelites had conquered the, the promised land, they'd settled themselves, were occupying it. It was before they had a king. Uh, their high priest was Eli. Um, well, there was this horrible incident, uh, their own fault, uh, their own unfaithfulness, but the Ark of the Covenant was stolen by their enemies. Um, Eli's two sons uh, were killed in this uh, attack where the Ark was stolen. Uh, some messengers came back. Eli was so overwhelmed with despair he was, the, he was the leader. He was the closest thing to a, a sort of a single leader that Israel had at the time. He was so overwhelmed with despair, he keeled over dead when he heard that his sons were killed and, and the ark was stolen. Now, it was totally understandable that he was overwhelmed with despair. Anybody would have been overwhelmed with despair. But he was so overwhelmed with despair that he, he died on the spot. Uh, and just exactly when Israel needed a leader, um, his daughter-in-law, um, who, whose husband had just been killed, uh, she was so overwhelmed with despair. She was giving birth to a child, and she was overwhelmed with despair, and she died right there on the spot. Before she died, she was so overwhelmed with despair, she gave her, her, her son the name Ichabod, which in Hebrew means the glory of the Lord has departed. Now imagine 
walking around as a child, as a, as, a, as, a, as a human being, with that prophecy in your name, the glory of the Lord has departed from Israel. Imagine living life with that hanging over you because your mother, now it's totally understandable again that she was in despair. It's totally understandable. But then she turned it into this, and, then, and now my son, who I'm going to, I won't even be able to take care of now, he's going to get this, this prophecy over his life, okay? Um, a negative example. King Saul, I was thinking a lot about him. There, if you read through the stories of his life, there are multiple instances where he gave that sort of shriveled up, partial obedience. He, he, he generally did, you know, if, if he were in a court of law, he'd probably, you know, yeah, he, it would have found him, you know, uh, he, he, would, he would have um, obeyed the Lord mostly, uh, but he gave that sort of shriveled up, partial obedience because it says several times that he was he was basically afraid of what people thought of him and to appease their opinion and maintain his popularity because he was so afraid of them he he kind of gave this partial obedience tons of trouble followed from that a lot of our heroes in scripture have examples of emotional immaturity king david his uncontrolled affections won't go over the whole story of course with uh Bathsheba and and then killing Bathsheba's husband and et cetera, et cetera. It's a horrible, long, drawn-out story uh, because he didn't have control over his affections. Well, probably shouldn't be any surprise. His son had the same problem, King Solomon. This very verse, uh, 1 Kings 11.4, says that uh, because of his desire for all these different women who worshipped idols, uh, he, his heart was drawn astray. He, he's considered the wisest man uh, ever to have lived. He'd gotten, you know, had spoken directly with the Lord. The Lord had given him wisdom to rule over his people. And yet, near the end of his life, his heart was drawn away to worship idols because of his uncontrolled affections. Um, King Ahab's sullenness. All right, I thought this was just fascinating. I'm not going to go over this whole story. But King Ahab ended up... Uh, having a guy killed Naboth in order to, so that he could have Naboth's vineyard and all kinds of other trouble flowed from that. And, and it says here, it names an emotion. It says he was sullen. He wasn't getting what he wanted and he was sullen about it. So, and I'm, I bet every one of you could name dozens of more, uh, dozens of other negative examples of, of that. Well, how are we going to get our mind around it if we have so many negative examples? And so few positive examples in Scripture. I'm going to talk about uh, a couple of really positive examples in a minute. Uh, but but let me, let me kind of lay a framework for you. If, if you've got the workbook, it goes over this in a little, a little more detail. But I, I want to just talk about, uh, you could call them four checkpoints of emotional maturity. Now, I, I just have to admit, I used to think I was really emotionally mature because I could emote. I could, uh, I, I, you know, would tear up at, at, at movies and I, I could speak with, with dramatic effect and with, with passion and it was all authentic and, and, you know, it served me well in high school where girls were like, oh, he's so in touch with his feelings, you know. But, uh, <laughs> Um, so, so I, I thought, I thought that, that made me emotionally mature. You know, I wasn't, I wasn't all stoic and unfeeling and, and, uh, out of touch with my, my emotions. Uh, but, but as, as life went on and challenges went on, I started realizing I, I don't think I actually do have the emotional capacity to handle a lot of what life is, is throwing at me. And, um, so, so these handholds are really, these checkpoints are really helpful in giving me kind of a sense of, okay, oh, that's, that's what emotional maturity looks like. The first one is self-awareness. That might seem so obvious, uh, but it, it's, it's actually not. What I mean by self-awareness is you know what's happening inside of your heart when it's happening. That's what self-awareness is. So, so, so uh, uh, anger rises up in you, 
and there's all kinds of legitimate reasons why anger might rise up in you. Anger rises up, and instead of like pretending that that feeling isn't there or denying that that feeling is there, you actually can name it, and you're like, oh, yeah, that, that's what that feeling is. And I'm going to give you an example of, of Jesus having this in, in just a minute here. But, but self-awareness, and, and you know, I, speaking of anger, that's one of the most interesting things. One of the reasons why people... Uh, have what gets called, you know, an anger problem or an anger management problem is precisely because they don't have self-awareness. Now, they, they might, you know, later on recognize, yeah, I kind of blew it there. But in the moment, they aren't able to name that's that feeling I have rising up inside of me, that, that anger that's welling up. They, they, they're not able to say that that's, they, they, they might feel, you know, something unjust has happened to them, they, uh, something bad is happening. Uh, but they're not able to name that that's, that's what anger, that, that, that that's what it is, all right? Um, so self-awareness is the first one. The second one is self-control. That's pretty obvious, again, but that is the ability to, to rein in and pull back your emotions and then rechannel them in a, in a really good way, in a positive way. And it, it, all the emotions are good. God created them. God, and as we're going to see in a minute, Jesus had all of the emotions. There's nothing wrong with having anger. There might be a really legitimate reason for you to have anger. But self-control is the ability to rein it in and then channel it the, the right way, in a positive, helpful way. Um, the second, or sorry, the third, third checkpoint is kind of the opposite of that. That's, so so self-control is your ability to rein in and pull yourself back. Self-motivation is the ability to push yourself forward uh, and, and do the right thing even when maybe it's unpleasant, un- unpleasurable, when there's obstacles in the way. It's the ability to push yourself forward. Uh, you th- think of all the – this happens to me so many times. My intention might be wonderful. I might be uh, uh, ha- have every right intention to do the right thing. I might even be doing the right thing for a while, and, and then I, I lose steam and I lose motivation to keep doing the right thing. So, so self-motivation, even, even when you're feeling angry, even when, we're going to see an amazing example of Jesus doing this in, in a moment, uh, but, um, but even, even when there's an emotional storm going on inside of you, you have the ability to push yourself forward and do the right thing. Uh, and then kind of the, the crowning achievement uh, the fourth checkpoint is empathy. Empathy is em- empathy means to feel what other people are feeling. The the positive kind of empathy is where somebody else is sad, and instead of just uh, noticing that they're sad, you actually have the ability to feel the sadness with them. You actually, or somebody's anger, angry about something, you actually have the ability to kind of enter into their anger, not, not lose it yourself, but actually um, feel the, the reason why they're feeling anger, all right? And, uh, and, and empathy is, is incredibly important for loving other people. I don't know, you, almost everybody here probably could have a story where you were really down in the dumps, something awful was going on, and, and, and you open up your heart to somebody and they empathized with you. They shared with, they, they, they were able to, to feel the sadness you're feeling, the anger you're feeling, the depression you're feeling. And there's something about that that just buoys up your spirit and lifts you up when someone treats you that way. Uh, and so, so empathy is an incredibly important part of lo- loving other people. It's also one of the most key uh, ways of... Um, it, I'll give you an example. Some, some, if, if anger is rising up in you and you want to lash out at somebody, it's usually empathy that stops you from, from lashing out because you realize this other, oh my goodness, this is another person with hopes and dreams and fears and difficulties and look, they're, they're not just trying to be annoying and a jerk. They actually are going through some stuff and I can see they're going through some stuff and I can feel that they're going through some stuff um, and, and it actually... So empathy is one of the things that arrests the negative emotions and helps you to behave lovingly towards another person who you might otherwise not behave lovingly toward. Uh, so empathy is incredibly important. There is, there is a very immature kind of empathy or a kind of a masquerading empathy. 
where you know you you uh, uh, you know you often see this in little kids. You know, there's a little a little kitty cat. You know, who who has a little boo boo, and the you know the the child is just like distraught about this kitty cat, and like, oh my goodness, my life is going to end because this poor little fluffy is going to get hurt. And, and that, that that's a beautiful thing in a in a very childish way, but that's not the kind of empathy, the mature empathy I'm talking about, where you're actually able to to truly love other people in a very significant way. So, so those are the four checkpoints. Um, I, I want to show you how Jesus demonstrated all, all of these. Um, he showed self-awareness in the Garden of Gethsemane. There's, he showed it all the time. But uh, in uh, Matthew 14, verse 34, particularly, he says, Jesus said, My soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. Now, if I were Jesus, I would have been trying to be stoic for my disciples and try to pretend like this isn't, I'm not scared about this, I'm not worried about this, I'm about to die, and it's going to be a torturous, awful death. Instead, Jesus said, my soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. He, he recognized, he acknowledged uh, what he was, he was feeling. and didn't try to hide it, suppress it, push it down. Uh, <clears throat> Jesus showed self-control when he was angry and distressed. Here's a really interesting thing for you to look up at some point. Mark chapter 3, verse 5. It says here that, um, I I won't repeat the whole story, but uh, there was a man with a shriveled up hand, and he, um, it was the Sabbath, and of course Jesus had already gotten into trouble with the Pharisees for healing on the Sabbath, and the the Pharisees were watching to see what he was going to do. And Jesus looked at them and said, is it, is it right to do good or to do evil on the Sabbath? Really important question, because the Pharisees, they had totally misunderstood the Sabbath, thought it was all about this having your behavior in this perfectly ordered way. And Jesus said, is it right to do good or to do evil on the Sabbath? They didn't answer him. They refused to answer because they knew they'd get trapped. And it says Jesus looked at them in anger. He was angry at them. Jesus was angry, all right? Jesus had all the emotions. If you have anger... In your heart, don't worry. Jesus did too, okay? <laughs> um, Jesus felt anger, and it says he was deeply distressed. But he didn't give him a tongue lashing. He didn't call down fire from heaven like he could have, like he had the right to. He, it says what he did was he turned to the man with a shriveled up hand, and he said, stretch out your hand. And the man stretched out his hand, and, and he was healed. So Jesus, even though he was angry and deeply distressed, he had the ability to control that anger and... He, he healed the man right, right there. Uh, Jesus had, he showed self-motivation when he faced the cross. Uh, he, he, he knew what was, was coming. It was, it was clear to him. And uh, just before his death in, in John chapter 12, it, um, he said, Father, sh- what should I do? Should I pray, save me from this hour? And he said, no. For this reason I came. And he said, Father, glorify your name. So he motivated himself to face the cross with his, uh, by remembering why he'd come and praying for the Father to be glorified through it. The, by the way, there's a lot of things God asks us to do that praying for the Father to be glorified is the only way you're going to get through it. It's the only way you're going to get through it. Um, Jesus showed Empathy. Now, he showed, you read all, all the scriptures, you see it all over the place, the empathy he showed. I think this one is so amazing, this story, because it, it, it's so, um, in John chapter 11, it's so, it makes it so plain, the empathy that he was feeling. Uh, it says, when he saw uh, Mary weeping, and then he saw the Jews who'd come with her also weeping, it says that he was deeply moved in spirit and troubled. Okay, Jesus knew he was going to raise this guy from the dead. He just told his disciples um, he just told Martha, he, you know, he knew what he was going to, ha- he knew this, there's a happy ending, but even though he knew there was a happy ending, he entered into Martha and Mary and, and their friends pain and sorrow over the loss of Lazarus. He entered into it. He fully felt it, but which by, by the way, Christians are notorious throughout history, um, for not showing empathy when someone has died. Uh, some, some, or, or some tragic accident has happened, and, and Christians will be like, well, 
you know, I mean, you're going to see him in the resurrection, so why are you crying? You know, what's, what's the matter? Uh, that, that, that's, that's not what Jesus did. Jesus entered into the sadness and sorrow that Lazarus, uh, over Lazarus' death that everyone else is feeling. Um, so, so Jesus was amazing at showing these, living out these four checkpoints. I, I want to take us to Acts chapter 4. If you don't have, I see a few of you with, with Bibles. If you don't, there's one in front of you. But I'd like us to ter- turn to Acts chapter 10. I'm sorry, I said 4, I meant 10. Acts chapter 10. And I just want to highlight a few parts of the story. This story gives me hope because, you know, when I read about Jesus' emotional maturity, I'm like, there's part of me that's like, yeah, but that was Jesus, and he was God, and like, you know, how, how, do, how about me that didn't start off as God, and, you know, like, how do I, how do I grow in that? So, so one of the people that gives me the most hope in Scripture is Peter. Peter was a loudmouth. Peter was, if you read through the gospel accounts, he was the, one of the most emotionally immature people in the world, we see him prone to violence. You know, he cut off the um, the, servant, the ear of the um, of a fellow when they were trying to arrest Jesus. Um, he had this loud mouth; was always spouting stuff off. It was inappropriate times. Uh, you know, he he was he, he would make these dramatic, flourishing statements. You know, I will even follow you to death, and all this all this stuff. And uh, one of the most emotionally immature disciples there was. You know, most of the other disciples had enough. You know, they, they were young and naive, but at least they knew, like, just keep your mouth shut, you know, mo- most of them. But Peter was just blah, blah, blah. So anyway, I'm just so thrilled that God lovingly left Peter as an example because, whew. So just a few things I want to highlight about, about um, Peter here. Um, so if you, if you come with me to Acts chapter 10, first uh, in chapter 9, or sorry, whew, chapter 10, verse 9, thank you. Uh, Peter had this vision. About noon the following day, as they were on their journey and approaching the city, Peter went up to the roof to pray. He became hungry and wanted something to eat. And while the meal was being prepared, he fell into a trance. He saw heaven opened and something like a large sheet being let down to earth by its four corners. It contained all kinds of four-footed animals as well as reptiles of the earth and birds of the air. Then a voice told him, Get up, Peter, kill and eat. Now, this is interesting, Peter's response. Surely not, Lord, Peter replied. I have never eaten anything impure or unclean. And, and I, I don't need to go over a whole explanation of how uh, the Jews were extremely strict about what they ate. Today, we, they call it the, the kosher laws. Uh, back then, they were incredibly strict, and Peter had been a really good uh, kosher eater way back then. And... Uh, I want you to imagine the kind of disgust that probably rose up in Peter when he saw the vision of reptiles. Reptiles were considered one of the most disgusting creatures. You know, now it's kind of a delicacy of, you know, snake parts, I guess. But, you know, for for a Jew back then, imagine a time when you felt just utter disgust. That was probably what Peter was feeling when he saw this vision. And, and, and then, you know, we see from his reaction, surely not, Lord. I have never eaten anything impure or unclean. All right? This strong emotional reaction, this disgust rising up in him. And, and think of all the times when disgust has prevented you from reaching out to somebody. I, I know, it, I'm, I know I'm, I'm pretty sure I'm not the only one in the room where disgust at someone or something or something about someone's lifestyle or, or something about someone's behavior or where they came from or, the, or their, their family of origin or their ethnic origin, where disgust didn't prevent me from doing what I was supposed to do. I know I'm not the only one. Um, anyway, the vision goes on. Finally, uh, I, I won't read every bit of this, um, uh, but what happens is at the same time, uh, this man named Cornelius, a, a, a Gentile, that means he wasn't a Jew, uh, he w- had a vision of an angel, and he was directed to go get Peter and bring Peter um, uh, and, and ask Peter to tell him uh, about the gospel. And so um, I want you to skip down to um, where, where these, 
these people from Cornelius are coming to get Peter. Um, it says here in verse um, uh, 22, the, man, the men replied, we have come from Cornelius the centurion. He is a righteous and God-fearing man. He is respected by all the Jewish people. The holy angel told him to have you come to his house so that he could hear what you have to say. Now, this is interesting. As probably disgusted as Peter was feeling, in verse 23 it says, Peter invited the men into the house to be his guests. The next day, Peter started out with them, and some of the brothers from uh, Joppa went along. The following day, he arrived in Caesarea. Cornelius was expecting them and had called together his relatives and close friends. Um, as Peter entered the house, Cornelius met him and fell at his feet in reverence. Um, but Peter, and this is interesting again, he was probably feeling disgust, but Peter made him get up. Stand up, he said. I am only a man myself. Interesting reaction, especially for Peter. Um, uh, so anyway, I'm not going to repeat the whole story, but uh, Peter shares the gospel with them. Uh, the people, um, uh, basically, they, they profess, uh, Cornelius and all his friends and his family members, they all profess belief in Christ. They get baptized. Um, if we uh, skip ahead to verse 47, Peter said, Can anyone keep these people from being baptized with water? They have received the Holy Spirit just as we have. So he ordered that they be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. Then they asked Peter to stay with them for a few days. Now, I, I want to highlight just a few of these checkpoints of emotional maturity. And again, this is, gives me so much encouragement because like, wow, if Peter can grow in emotional maturity, maybe I can too. Um, Self-awareness. First of all, uh, you know, back in verse 28, Peter honestly expressed his reservation. In verse 28, he had said, he said to them, you are well aware that it is against our law for a Jew to associate with a Gentile or visit him. All right, I think that's, that's pretty interesting. He, he, he was aware of this. He was aware of probably the disgust rising up in him. Um, he controlled himself. In verse 21, when he received the messenger, he didn't just immediately, oh, you're a Gentile, get out of here. Um, and, and then when he says in verse 29, he, he welcomed them in, or he said, uh, I'll, I'll go with you without raising any objections, all right? So he was actually able to, you know, he could have been, you know, just, well, and I, you know, you really should become Jewish before you become a believer, and you really should start adopting all the laws, and you really need to get circumcised, and you really, you know, he could have been, da, 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 all these little objections he could have been raising. Instead, he went without, he controlled his tongue and went without objections. He demonstrated self-motivation when he complies with the Spirit's direction, all right? He, he motivated himself to go ahead and obey the Lord uh, when the Lord directed him to do so. By the way, this is the, if, if you're wondering, how do I motivate myself uh, when I'm having a, an emotional storm inside, following the Spirit's direction is the best way to motiv motivate yourself. It's a little, little, little insider uh, comment there. Um, and... Peter showed empathy when, first off, he called himself only a man. He put himself in the same place, you know, instead of what most Jews did at the time of thinking of himself as above uh, Gentiles, he put himself on the same level. And then in verse 47, when he says, you have received the Holy Spirit just as we have, he was able to recognize what they were going through at the same time. So I think, I think this verse kind of sums up at the end of the story. You are well aware that it is against our law, for a Jew to associate with a Gentile or visit him. But God has shown me that I should not call any man impure or unclean. So when I was sent for, I came without raising any objections. We see all four checkpoints of emotional maturity in, in this one statement and in this, this whole story. So <clears throat> this gives me a lot of hope. It gives me a lot of hope that I can grow in emotional maturity. You can grow in emotional maturity. Uh, the, um, I want to introduce you just the last few minutes I'm up here to a spiritual practice. Uh, Marie uh, already mentioned this when she led us all in a prayer during our, our singing time. Um, this, is, this practice has gone, over, got, gone through, had all kinds of names throughout the centuries. People have called it the discipline of stillness, the discipline of uh, inner quietness. 
Um, people have called it um, uh, just the word surrender. Uh, there, there's all kinds of labels this has had. <clears throat> we uh, are kind of using this sort of simplified uh, label to e- explain what it is. Um, as, as Marie pointed out earlier, it's based on Psalm 46, verse 10, the statement, Be still and know that I am God. Now, I, if you read the whole psalm, all of Psalm 46, the, it's pretty amazing. It, it goes through thing after th- it goes through disaster after disaster, and not just little disasters like I can't find my car keys, but like major disasters like mountains falling into the sea and like um, the earth melting and like warfare all across the earth and like big big disasters that many of us in this room have never faced. And, and then at the end of it, it concludes with this command from God, be still and know that I am God. And then, and then here's, here's this hope. This is what, how Jesus motivated himself when he faced the cross. I will be exalted in all the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. So in spite of these calamities and these disasters of life falling apart, the earth falling apart, nations falling apart, there's this certainty that the Christian can have of God being exalted in all the nations, God being exalted in all the earth. That's how Jesus motivated himself, remember, when he was facing the cross. He said, you know, what should I, Father, save me from this hour? No, for this reason I came, Father, glorify your name. And Jesus motivated himself to face the cross uh, so there's this really simple little hand gesture. You don't have to do it if you feel like it's weird, but you can just come along with me. I, I, I've been teaching the kids a lot, and uh, we, we do hand gestures all the time. It really helps your brain remember things. So uh, what we do is we start with uh, our hands clenched, and you can do this with me if you want. No one's going to make you, but uh, <laughs> you start with your hands clenched, and the clenching of your fists acknowledges I'm hanging on to this. This is, this is the self-awareness bit, the acknowledging this is what I'm feeling, this is uh, what's going on inside of me, you know, whether it's anger, distress, depression, anxiety, I'm, I'm feeling this, acknowledging it's true, okay? That's the first step. Then the second is to open those hands down, open your hands down, and, and here you're symbolizing that you're, you're letting whatever it is you're holding on to, go. You're, you're, you're letting it go. This is the uh, self-control bit and, and, and the, 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 the part where, where you're releasing it to the Lord. <clears throat> and then the third step, really simple, you just turn your hands up, all right? This is, this is where the, mo- the self-motivation part comes in and, and eventually the empathy. This is where you are receiving God in the, the place of, the negative emotion. And uh, so, so just you go through the motions with me. You start with your hands clenched. Uh, yep, this is really what I'm struggling with. This is the feeling I'm having. Then you're releasing it to the Lord. You're letting it fall. And then you're turning your hands up. Um, now, I, I know I've made a fool of myself in public places doing this. Uh, <laughs> you know, people see me like, you know, <clears throat> try not to be noticed. <laughs> What's he doing? What's going on um you don't have to do that if you're <laughs> in a place but but it, it it helps it helps to have a little hand motion and it gives you a pause um sometimes when i'm when i'm doing this discipline uh, or this practice of stillness before the lord um sometimes it's it's just it takes me a couple seconds uh and and that's all i have i'm right in the middle of something and uh, even if my hands are full and i i don't even actually have time to you know i'll like drop like food that I'm cooking, you know, like I, I, I don't have time to do that. that. That's okay. You can just do it in your brain, do it in your mind. That's right. Um, imagine your, your brain doing it. Uh, um, so sometimes it takes just a couple seconds. Other times, um, hopefully this is a freeing thing to tell you, but sometimes it takes me hours. Sometimes it's hours of just quieting myself before the Lord to get at, to acknowledge what I'm, I'm really feeling, um, to, to get, to, to start wrapping my mind around uh, in my heart around restraining some of the negative emotions. Um, uh, so sometimes it takes hours. Sometimes it takes weeks and months 
not that I'm like kneeling in one spot for weeks and months, but like uh, I keep having to come back to the same issue. Um, uh, uh, and, 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 and sometimes I'll do this, you know, every time, clench my hands, release my hands, and open up my hands. Uh, and, and that's okay. However long it takes, the Lord, you know, he's, he's got eternity. Uh, he's infinitely patient. Um, but, uh, but hopefully this little practice gives you kind of a, a handhold around learning how to quiet yourself in the storm, uh, practicing being still before the Lord, practicing self-awareness, practicing self-control, practicing self-motivation, practicing empathy. Um, by the way, if, if you've ever wondered, well, how, I don't have any of that stuff, Andrew. How do I get that? Practice it. Like, do it. it. It doesn't matter how atrophied and small and shriveled up your ability is to be self-aware or your ability is to, self, to control yourself or to have empathy. No matter how small and shriveled up it is, Practice it, and it gets stronger. It's just like with any muscle, any part of your body, anything, do it. Practice it. You, you, you got you to gotta act like the person you want to become um, uh, if, if you're going to become that person. So start with what you got, all right? So I'm, I'm just going to pray for us, and if the worship team could come forward, I think they got something here. And Heavenly Father, um, we, we come before you, and... We, I, I want to be the first to acknowledge I'm, I'm way more like Peter than, than Jesus uh, in my emotional immaturity. Thank you for Peter's story and the story of many others who, uh, who actually were able to grow in emotional maturity because we want to love you with all of our heart, mind, soul, and strength. We want to love our neighbors as much as we love ourselves. We, we want to... Uh, we, we want to accept who you've made us to be and, and accept your love. We want, Lord, <clears throat> we want to do it freely and we want to do it fully. Welcome, Holy Spirit, to, to, to do all you want to do in us, to mature us in our emotions. And may you be glorified thereby. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you, Andrew, for bringing us the word today. Our, uh, our former uh, associate pastor, Hollis Graves, used to say, find out what the Lord is saying and put an exclamation mark on it. And um, as I've been listening throughout the service today and I heard Vicky's testimony, it was a testimony of growing maturity about learning this loving others and being learning to step into that. And I, and I heard us sing earlier, open the eyes of our hearts, and I heard prayer around that. And um, some of you um, may have had an experience like I had uh, back in my 20s when um, I woke up one day and realized I really am the most selfish, immature person that ever graced the face of the earth. And... So for the last 30-plus uh, years has been a, a growing in maturity in all of the areas we've been talking about, including this emotional maturity. But the encouragement that I want to give as an exclamation point to what Andrew shared with us is that um, it is through the ongoing practice and discipline and exercise of our hearts and... It is through the power of the Holy Spirit working within us. In Ephesians 1, starting in verse 17, I keep asking, Paul says, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. I pray also that the eyes of your heart Here's what we sang earlier. May be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the rich of his, of his glorious inheritance in the saints and his incomparably great power for us who believe. That power is like the working of his mighty strength, which he exerted in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him in his right hand in the heavenly realms, far above all rule and authority, power and dominion, every title that can be given not only in the present age but also in the one to come. 
And God placed all things under his feet and appointed him to be head over everything for the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. You see, it's the power of the risen Christ in us that brings forth this transformation as we cooperate with him. I think of it sometimes. I, I used. To, I, have you ever seen um, pictures of or whatever of those old railroad things where there's a, a bar on each side? And there's one person here going boom, and the other person going shoom. Sometimes I think of that as the Lord and me working together, co-laboring to go down the track. I'm doing the discipline, and I lay it down, and then he pushes on the other side with his power and moves me forward. I can bear witness, having watched Andrew's life for 23 years, that he has grown immensely in emotional maturity. I have trust and hope that in my own life that is visible. I know that I have struggled with many of the things that Andrew spoke of today. And I know that that covers probably everyone in this room. Um, are we still? Okay, so we're going we're gonna to sing a song, Whom Have I But You? And... Um, you know, if you realize that this is you, that that there's some things that there's no shame here. This isn't about simply, well, you ought to just pull yourself up by your bootstraps, as it says in Second Hesitations. No, it's, God, I need you because without you, I got nothing going on. But with you, I can actually be transformed. You know, years ago, um, during seasons of fasting, um, anger continued to come up in me, and I I would sort of set that aside, and then finally, the Lord Lord was like, "Well, you might actually want to pay attention to that, <laughs> or maybe there's other things that come up." And again, this hits at the heart of all of us this morning, and. We're going to be continuing on the next weeks. So we're going to be talking about mental maturity next week and relational maturity the week after that and Easter Sunday. We're going to be talking about multiplying maturity down as a legacy and generations to follow. But I really feel like this is what the Lord's doing right in us right now. And maybe you're here this morning. And um, I'm going to actually ask for something from us this morning. I'm going to ask for the men to come first to the altar, and then I'm going to ask the ladies to come in response. If you just need to respond this morning, if you realize, Lord, if you just want to join me up here, um, I'll be the first to stand here before the Lord. And then we'll give a benediction in a little bit here. But often, you know, it was the women who ran to the tomb. So, but guys... Um, I believe the Lord is actually, sometimes it's maybe even more a word for us to grow in. So I'm going to take that step and ask men to come forward first, and then I'll ask women to come. If we could stand to our feet, that would help people to be able to move out. So men, if there's any of you that want to join me up here and say, yeah, this is me too. Men, whether you're here in front or still in the audience, would you just open your hands? I'm going to ask my wife, who has faithfully prayed for me for all of these many years, 31 years almost of marriage. I'm going to ask her to pray a blessing over us men here this morning. emotional maturity. Lord God, that you demonstrate that you are a source, a resource, a strength, an ever-flowing source, Lord God, to them for all that they need, for all that they need. Lord, we know, we know, and you know each one of their stories. 
Lord, you know the places and you know the journey that they've gone so far. But you keep beckoning them to go on with you, to hear your voice, to look to you, Lord God, and to no other. And Lord, you will be glorified in their lives and in all the lives that they touch, Lord God, because you call them, Lord God, your own. You call them your sons, your men, Lord God, men whose hearts are after you, Lord God, long for you, Lord God. Father, I just pray that you would make it real, make it real for each one of them. Lord, I pray for your Holy Spirit to come, Lord God, touch them in the ways that they need to be touched, Lord God, in the ways that you speak to them, Lord God, that they will know with a knowing with a knowing that knows, that knows, that knows that they are yours and that you call them, that you work within them, Lord God, that you change them, that you transform them, God, and you give them the courage. Fill them, encourage them, God, to be the men of God that you love and adore. Thank you, Father, that they are your sons. They are your precious ones, Lord God, and you love them with an everlasting love and you call them to grow up even greater in you, Lord God, into your love, and so that your love will flow out of them to those that they will touch. They will touch the nations. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, God. Thank you, Father. In your powerful, mighty name we pray. Amen. Ladies, open your hands if you would. Lord Jesus, just as we prayed over the men, Lord, we pray over these precious women today. Lord God, who carries so much, so faithfully. And yet, Lord, just like us men, they are human. And you know, Lord, their places of vulnerability. You know those that are struggling with fear those that are struggling with depression, those that are struggling with bitterness, those that are struggling with anger, Lord, that have had besetting things that have just felt like they would just never release. But today, in the name of Jesus, we bring those things out of shadow and into light. And we pray, oh God, that you would break every chain upon every heart today. Lord, that there would be a release of true life, true freedom, true hope, true, God, maturity to grow up into the fullness of who you have called these women to be. So we bless them right now in the name of Jesus to fulfill all that you have called them to be, to come out of, again, out of shadows and into light out of brokenness and into wholeness, out of chains and into freedom, out of death and into life. Let your life flow in Jesus' name. Let your life flow among the women of this house, we pray. Jesus' name, in Jesus' name. Jesus' name, Jesus' name, hallelujah. Men, you can just stay right where you are. We're going to sing as we close a declaration. And then Hannah's going to come and give us a benediction prayer. But this is our declaration as we close this morning. That our God, be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted. In the nations, I will be exalted in the heaven. Amen. Father, we just thank you this morning for the challenge that we've received to grow. Lord, we don't want to remain the same size emotionally as we are now. Father, we want to grow. So, Lord, our hearts say yes. Our hearts say, Father, work in us. 
And God, let us be faithful to say yes and to let you provide the power. So Jesus, we just ask that this week would be the beginning more and more of more maturity, of more ability, of greater honor to you in all of our lives. Every aspect, Father, we commit ourselves to your work. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you.